is moving this summer. I'll, I'll unpack that a bit more later. So they've only got a few more precious Sundays together. And Annabeth absolutely loves church with Martha. So we are, we're trying to kind of milk that as much as possible in these next few weeks before Martha moves on. Uh, and so that's why they're at church at City this morning and not here with us. Um, I lead the eldership team. I moved to City Church when I was uh, 18 years old in 2003 for university and never left. Uh, just loved it. I'd grown up in Essex, the outskirts of Essex and London. Um, and it was a very different experience coming to Canterbury. Just absolutely loved the church, loved the city and have stayed ever since. And just God's been kind of Drawing my heart more and more to Canterbury as a city, uh, as a church, we're a multi-site church, so we're based in Canterbury and Whitstable, and just, it's been a very exciting season for us in seeing what God is doing amongst us. But this morning, we're going to be looking at this theme of looking beyond ourselves, and actually, this is a principle that we as a church, and for me personally, I feel God's been really teaching me over this last season, so it's actually quite a joy to unpack it. And the first thing I want to say is this. When you read through the scriptures, what will strike you is that there is a narrative that runs from the beginning to the end of a God who is all about multiplication. A God whose hunger and heart is for a people that multiply and that reach further and further and further for the gospel. When he made Adam and Eve, his first call to them was be fruitful and multiply. We see that that theme runs throughout Scripture. You see it to Joshua. When Joshua takes the people of Israel into the promised land, God's call for them wasn't just go into one place and take it. God's call was multiply, receive, take more and more of that land that I have for you and that I have called you to have. Again, with the kingdom, when you look at David and the story, it was one of multiplication, the kingdom of God continually increasing. You see in Matthew 28, after Jesus Christ has died on the cross, risen again, has spent time with his disciples, just before he ascends to heaven, he says to them, go and make disciples of all nations. There's this theme that runs of multiplication. You see it in the book of Acts. The people of God are in one place in Jerusalem seeing great fruit. You've got to read uh, Acts 2 and see the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people saved, but we see the persecution hits the church and they're scattered. And what we find is that churches multiply. There's churches that begin to spring up all over the place because of what's happened. Even the church in Antioch that was known as one of the strongest churches, a massive hub that were doing great things. They're praying and fasting. They hear God say, set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work I have for them. Wherever you read through scripture, you will find this narrative of multiplication. God is a God who wants to see us multiplying. Any healthy organism is one that multiplies. You can look it through biology. I'm not really a biologist, but you will see that wherever you look. And so I believe that for us as local churches, a healthy church is one that has a healthy reach. I believe that that's what you will find. God's heart for us as a people is here at Herne Bay at Beacon Church is that God wants you to be a healthy church that has a healthy reach, a reach into the community around you, a reach to love those that are your neighbors and your colleagues and your friends, but also a reach that goes beyond Herne Bay. I love the vision that you have to want to see Herne Bay and further impacted for Jesus. I think that is a biblical vision that God has given us. And so this morning through Acts 10, I want to show you just three keys to help us be those that look beyond ourselves. The first is the key of our positioning. Second is the key of our perspective. And the third is the key of our participation. So let's read Acts chapter 10 together. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a few verses, stop unpack it. We'll read a few more. Stop, unpack those as well. I know it's a hot day, so please don't feel guilty if you're nodding off. I won't judge you. Uh, but let's start. It says this, Acts 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry. 
and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Let's just stop there, okay? I want to start with these three verses, looking at our first key, which is one of positioning. A few things that really strike me uh, about this passage that I find both very humbling but very encouraging as well in different ways. First one is this. This seems to just be a very normal day for Peter. I love you. You can see here it says the next day. It just starts. Just the next day. Do you know what Peter had done the day before? Is he'd raised someone from the dead. A lady called Tabitha in Joppa, which is where Peter is, she was well-known and loved by all the saints. She had died. They called for Peter. He comes around. He prays for her, and he rises her from the dead through the power of Christ. Sees a woman literally who is dead come back to life. And then it just says, the next day, Peter's carrying on his journey. What you will find when you read the book of Acts is that for the people of God, the supernatural work of God was expected. It was expected. If I, if I went to pray for someone who had died and they had risen from the dead, I promise you my next day would not be a normal day. I would be, probably my next 10 years would not be, I'd be riding that way for a very long time of what I'd seen and what God had done. But there seems to be in the people of God just this wonderful expectation that God is going to move in supernatural ways, but your life will continue. And the next day is another opportunity to see God move in supernatural ways. What we find through this passage is that Peter seems to be someone who has a real hunger for God. Now, I don't know if you've ever found when you read through the scriptures and read through the Bible, often you can fall into the trap of, of kind of thinking, for example, the book of Acts is a great example. You can kind of think it's there purely for us to look at and go, wow, weren't the early church incredible? I wish I'd lived in those days. Wouldn't it have been amazing? To have been there on the day of Pentecost. Wouldn't it have been amazing to see tongues of fire and the sound of a wind? Wouldn't it have been amazing to be praying for boldness and God shook the whole room for us? Wouldn't it have been amazing to have lived in those days? And we can kind of think that it's there just to inspire us of dreaming of days gone by and looking back. Now there are certain aspects of the book of Acts that actually are very specific for that time. This was the first time God had poured out his spirit on all people. So I don't believe that we can expect to see everything that happened in Acts replicated today. I think there are some things, you know, I like to think if you see it repeated, there's a good hope it will be today. If you don't, it probably was a one-off thing. So for example, the day of Pentecost was the first time God had poured out his spirit on all people. That's never going to happen again. And so the way that Pentecost happened, I don't think we can pray for another Pentecost in that sense, but we can pray for God to send his spirit amongst us. We can see that there are continual themes that run through the book of Acts and through the New Testament and actually through the Old Testament that we can be a people that expect to see. And one of those is that God is a God who moves in power when his people position themselves in a way to expect him to move. For Peter, he was just having a normal day. I love the fact his routine, his daily routine seems to be he prays and he eats. I love that. It's just what a, what a simple routine to have. I think I'd, that's true of me to a degree. I definitely eat every day. I'd love to be more uh, disciplined in my routine of prayer. But I love the fact that what you see here is there's just a normality to Peter that sometimes we can miss. Sometimes we think that the guys that we see in the scriptures are these superheroes that will never be like, listen, Peter was just a normal guy. I love the fact it tells us that he went to pray on the sixth hour. Do you know what time that was? That was midday. And then it says he got hungry. I don't think it took him long to get hungry. I'm hungry by 12. Usually for me, it's like, you know, my stomach's starting to rumble. It's lunchtime for me. If I began to pray at 12, by 12.01, it would say Martin was hungry. It doesn't tell us how long he was praying for before he get, starts to get hungry. But I love that idea. There's, there's weakness within the mix of this picture. This isn't this kind of superhero set apart. It's just a normal guy 
who'd known Jesus, walked with Jesus, been filled by the Spirit, and now was walking in the calling that Jesus had given him. Is that true of us? Are we those that can say the same? Are we those that on a daily basis are trying to position ourselves so that we can hear from God and follow him? What also strikes me about the beginning of this passage is Peter was already in the midst of his calling and his ministry by this point. He was there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He was the one that stood up and preached the gospel. He was the one that saw thousands respond and baptized. He was one who seemed to be kind of the first among equals of the apostles. He was kind of the leader, the the delegated spokesperson for them, uh, often points. He was quite clear on his calling, which was this. He was called to the Jewish people, first and foremost, and he was called to Jerusalem. So when persecution had hit, and you see in Acts 7, Stephen is stoned and he dies, and what you see is that the believers are scattered Peter remains in Jerusalem. All the apostles remain in Jerusalem. Others, they're sent elsewhere, but they stay because they were clear on their calling. What I love is that when we position ourselves before God, sometimes we've heard from him. I'm not doubting that Peter had heard from him. But sometimes when we position ourselves before God, we hear from God, but we are those that are expected to be continually hearing from God. Just because God spoke to you 20 years ago doesn't mean you're still on the right track today. So I think we need to be those that humble ourselves and position ourselves and say, God, am I still following your ways and what you're calling me to do? Peter wasn't kind of, it didn't seem like he was calling some kind of super special prayer meeting. Oh, I think God might be calling me to the Gentiles. Let's just have, you know, I'm going to go up and pray on the rooftop for a while. You guys prepare lunch and, and I'll go pray. He was just in his normal routine thinking, my calling from God is that I'm called to the Jewish people and I'm called to Jerusalem. And we see that God begins to shake the ground. When you position yourself to hear from God, he speaks in ways that just take you by surprise sometimes and you're not expecting to hear what God has to say. For me personally, I know at the moment I feel called to Canterbury. I can remember a few years ago, I was kind of just walking through, you know, as, as Steve shared, Tom, who used to be an elder at our church and, and lead the eldership team, moved to California um, about a year ago now. Um, and as a team, we'd been journeying that for probably two years before that as well. And, and obviously, Tom was someone that always said he was called to Canterbury. So him getting called elsewhere was quite a big deal. And it kind of got me thinking, oh, am, I, am I still hearing from God? Am I still in the right place? And so I remember I set aside a day to seek God. I'd planned to walk to Whitstable. I'm not much of a walker. Um, if you ever come to City, they'll tell you in every illustration within my preaching, I often bemoan whenever I've had to walk somewhere. But I was thinking, oh, I just want to go on a journey and enjoy the day with God. So I walked to Whitstable. I made it as far as the University of Kent before I was too tired to carry on. Uh, and so I sat down on this bench. And, um, and I just sat down. I was quite tired by then. I was thinking, oh, man, if I walk there and I walk back, that's going to take ages. And then this guy just came and sat next to me, it's this Asian guy. And he sat down. And I was sat by the sports center up at the university. Uh, and he started talking to me. He said, oh, do you mind if I sit here? I said, that's no, fine. And he started talking. He was just about to go into an exam. Um, and we got chatting, and he was in his final year, and he was about to go back to Hong Kong, where he was from. Uh, and he was just asking me what I do. And I said, oh, you know, I came here for university, and I've kind of stayed ever since. Uh, I'm part of the church now. I work for a church. And his response, I'll, I'll never forget it. He was literally like, you stayed here after university. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, why? This is the most boring place I've ever lived in my life. I was like, well, all right, I don't agree with you. But I, I've actually, I found God really speak to me through that. Actually, I have a calling here that not everyone has the same passion and heart for this place as I do. 
And I guess I want to encourage you, if, if you're feeling passionate about being in Herne Bay, there's probably people here that don't feel like that. And that, for me, is confirmation of God's call for you in this season, that you're in the right place at the right time. And so this guy then went off. I went, and went somewhere else. I didn't walk to Whitstable, and I prayed. And I really felt God affirm that for me. So I feel like, okay, God's called me to Canterbury. But I never want to shut myself off to hearing from God if he wants to develop that plan and that calling. And actually, I found that. God's stirring my heart for beyond Canterbury. Not that I'm planning to move, but just a heart for other places within Kent, other places across the nations that I feel like God is calling us as a people to care about. We need to be those like Peter that position ourselves to hear from God. What we see is that Peter clearly wasn't someone that, that limited God. He was always someone that expected to hear from God. So the first thing is we need to position ourselves in a way that means that just because God's called us in one way, we're not shut down to God speaking ever again to us. That we're consistently checking, seeking God's heart, seeking God's plans. But also, we need to be those that position ourselves in a way of prayer. The catalyst for change is the fact that Peter went to pray. Now, this is really important because if Peter hadn't gone to pray, God had already kind of saved Saul and brought him in and had told him he was going to be a God's spokesperson to the Gentiles. But I do wonder if Peter hadn't gone up to pray and hadn't heard from God and hadn't gone to Cornelius' house, as we'll, as we'll see, I wonder what impact that would have had on the gospel spread. Now, if you don't know, a Gentile is basically someone that's not Jewish. And so what that means is that there's a good chance that if Peter hadn't gone to pray, that we wouldn't be here today. There's a chance of that. Because Peter was key to seeing the gospel break out from beyond the Jewish people to non-Jews as well. The fact that it was Peter who was called to the Jewish people, who was the, the kind of first amongst the equal of the apostles, who was based in Jerusalem, who then goes in and preaches the gospel, gospel to Gentiles, has a massive impact for the trajectory of the whole history of the church. And we're part of that. We're part of that legacy. We're part of this moment. That's why it's such good news for us is that the gospel is for all people. But it's because Peter had positioned himself to pray. I love the fact it says at the sixth hour he went to pray. You'll see throughout. There does seem to be a discipline in the people of God through the Old Testament and the New Testament that they would consistently and regularly find time to pray. I think we're, we're not very good at that within the Western culture today. I think we allow the busyness of life and the pressures of life to rob us of our primary position, which is intimacy with the Father. What we see is that Peter, I mean, he must have been busy. Can you imagine, like, the context of the church at the time? They went from 120 to 5,000 literally in a day. They're consistently growing. It says the Lord adds to their number daily. He's just raised someone from the dead. You would imagine there's lots of people that are wanting Peter's time and energy, and yet he still commits to and disciplines himself to go into pray. We need to grow at this. I love Daniel in the Old Testament. He's one of my heroes of the faith. I love reading the book of Daniel. And what you'll find with Daniel is five times a day, he would take himself away to pray. Pull himself out of the pressures and the, the responsibilities and all that's going on around him to be with his father, to position himself to be able to listen to God. If we really want to be a people that look beyond ourselves, prayer is a massive part of it. Because actually, I'll be honest with you, God's called us as a church at City to be a sending church. And there's many times where I've kind of wrestled with God about that calling. Do we really have to be a sending church? Do we really have to see so many that we love and have invested in for years and are carrying significant responsibility, move on somewhere else? Can't just they stay? Can't we just kind of build a really big church here where no one ever moves and no one ever leaves? And God's like, no, that's not what I've called you to do. There's a cost that comes. 
to being those that look beyond yourselves. That's in personal terms and in corporate terms as well for us as a people. And I want to honor Steve's heart for wanting to stir this amongst you as a people to say, listen, we are called to be those that have a healthy reach, not just in Herne Bay, but beyond. But I want to be real with you. There's cost to it. And so that's why we need to be those that position ourselves to catch the heart of God, to know that God has spoken to us so that we can rely on that. About six months before we transitioned and Tom left and I took on leading the team, I was at a prayer and equipping event, which is one of our kind of relational mission uh, gathering moments. And just during the worship time, I felt God really speak to me. And he said, Martin, you need to be serious about sending. And I'd kind of been one of the, one of the people that had been in the church for years. I'd never felt called anywhere else. And so I'd never really understood when anyone else wanted to go anywhere else. I'd always kind of like, I don't really understand your thinking. I mean, Canterbury's the greatest place on earth. Like, why on earth would you want to go anywhere else? Uh, and God had said to me, you need to be serious about sending. And so I remember going back and I'd got a dear friend called Matt Spockier, who uh, God's called to go and church plant into the Isle of Sheppey. Him and his family, Martha's Annabeth's best friend, uh, they're moving this summer. And Matt's one of the guys that he'd been really honest with me for years about he'd felt this call of God. And my words to him had literally been, Matt, you can go, because he's, he's really, he's on staff, he's, he's key for the work. Like, the reason I'm able to do what I'm doing is because of this guy. He's, he like, he, he's amazing. And so I said to him, Matt, you can go and church plant when kind of my ministry's kind of coming to a bit of an end. You know, when I'm kind of maybe like 65 and I'm starting to think about retiring, step back. Then you could kind of run into the things of God. He's a couple of years younger than me. You've still got a few more years in you, kind of, you know, you'd be able to do that. Uh, and I felt, I've, I went back to him. I'd always done it jokingly, but you know when you feel like there's probably some seriousness in there. And so I went back and I repented. I said, Matt, I'm so sorry. I feel like I've hindered the call of God in your life. And I want you to know I'm going to start pushing you. Not because I want you to go, but because I feel like God's told me I have to. And so this last year, I've been pushing Matt out the boat. I've been saying, mate, God's called you to this. I'm not getting in your way anymore. What's God saying? What's God saying? What's God saying? And it's speeding up. God's speeding up this call. And he's going literally at the end of this month. And I'm like, man alive. But it's because I'd captured God's heart. It wasn't me. My natural self is I hang on to everything. I am like Captain Stingy with people, with money, with things, whatever it is, with my time. But when you catch a God's heart, you become generous, don't you? Because God's so generous. When you receive his grace and his mercy for yourself, you can't help but give that out to others. And so I'd encourage you as a church, how are you doing on positioning yourselves to capture God's heart? Let's carry on. It says this from verse 12. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So we'll stop there. Once we've positioned ourselves to hear from God, often what happens is then the next point, we'll capture God's perspective rather than our own. When we hit God's perspective, first thing you've got to know is this, often when God speaks and where God's heart is, is unexpected. I do not believe for a second that Peter was thinking when he went up onto that rooftop, I'm going to pray, God's going to give me a picture to tell me to kill and eat any animal. If you don't know, the Jewish religion was one of very much, there were clean animals and there were unclean animals. And the unclean animals, you didn't go anywhere near, you didn't touch them let alone eat them. And this sheet is full of random animals. And Peter's told, get up, go, kill, and eat. He must have been thinking, this is completely not what I thought would happen. God is a God of surprises. You just got to read through the scriptures and you will see often when God speaks, it wasn't in a way that people were expecting. When God moved, it often wasn't in the way people were expecting. Joseph gets a dream when he's a young lad 
but his brothers are going to bow down before him and he's going to rule over them. Now, he doesn't handle that very well. He runs out. He's, he tells them very excited, good news, guys. I'm going to rule over you. You're going to bow before me. His brothers weren't very happy about that. They lob him into slavery. He goes, he starts to do great things. He then ends up getting accused of, of things that he hadn't done. He gets arrested. He spends years in prison. And then it's finally, after about 40 years after he'd had the dream, that then God starts to bring him out into a position of power where his brothers end up coming and bowing before him because he's basically the prime minister of Egypt. The way God moves is unexpected. The way God speaks is unexpected. I, just, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in this moment when Peter's having this vision. And he's just like, what on earth is going on? This can't be right. I love the fact that he says this to God when God speaks to him. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord... You kind of like that feels a little bit kind of contradictory, doesn't it? He's basically saying no, but calling him Lord. By making Jesus Lord, basically what you're saying is, I'm submitting to you and I'll do whatever you tell me to do apart from this. How often do we live like that? How often do we say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life? And then he says, okay, next time the offering basket goes around, I want you to put that much money in. No, Lord, you don't understand. You've missed this. Or, you know, God, I want to follow you. And this is okay, we'll move over there. No, I'm not moving there. I want to live here. Often we treat Jesus in this way where we say, you're Lord, apart from in certain areas of our lives. Peter here encourages me. He really encourages me. If you read the Gospels, Peter really encourages me because he's a bit of a plonker. He gets things wrong a lot. But then suddenly the Spirit of God comes on him uh, in the book of Acts and he starts doing these amazing things. You're like, oh, Peter, you were kind of my, you know, my glimmer of hope as I follow Jesus because I get it wrong all the time and now you're getting it right all the time. He didn't. He still got it wrong. In this moment, God's speaking to him so clearly and he still chooses to argue with God. I think a big reason for that was because it was unexpected. He wasn't prepared for what God was saying. I want to encourage you with all of my heart. If you position yourselves to hear God, be prepared for the unexpected. God may call you to do things, to go places, to uh, serve him in ways that you would never dream he's called you to do. The fact that I'm stood here today, I find comical. The fact that God's called me to be someone that preaches the gospel, that ministers to people, that's the privilege of pastoring in a local church. If you'd spoke to anyone that knew me when I was 18 and say, oh, when Martin's 32, this is what he'll be doing, they would have laughed in your face at the things of God. God often works in unexpected ways. And I think what our responsibility is, is just positioning ourselves. As we do that, we capture God's perspective. We are drawn into the unexpected. For us as a church, this is true for us. We're in a season at the moment of God really moving in unexpected ways. So we've been, um, this last year, as I said, about a year ago, Tom transitioned and he left. And a lot of the counsel we were receiving from kind of outside voices, we were kind of saying, how should we handle this as a church? They were saying, brace yourselves. This is going to be a really hard year for you. You're going to, you know, people are going to leave. Your giving is going to decrease. It's just, just, you know, it just always happens when transition comes, this kind of thing happens. So we're all like, oh my gosh, you know, as an eldership team, we're like, you know, our positioning of prayer really increased at that moment of like, God, we really need your grace. And actually this year has been a really encouraging year. We meet at St. Stephen's Junior School in our Canterbury location. We're filling the hall. It's, it's genuinely like points now where kind of people are lining up at the back. You're kind of thinking, why on earth has anyone come back? If I came for the first time and it was like this, I'd never come back. I'd go and find somewhere I could actually sit down uh, and have a bit of space to myself. And so we've been kind of grappling with this question, what do we do? We're growing, we need to deal with that. And so we made the decision, probably back at Easter time, that we're going to go to multiple meetings from September, 10.30 and 4.30, just to create space to allow more people to come in amongst us. Almost the immediate same time that we've decided we're going multiple meetings, suddenly within our midst, 
two church plants begin to rise up saying they're going to go this summer. So we've already committed to 10.30, We feel like this is the right thing to do. We're moving in that direction. And then suddenly it's looking like pff, between 20 to 30, 40 people are going to be leaving us this summer just to be part of those two church plants, let alone then other people that are going to Bangkok, to Ireland, to, you know, loads of people are leaving this summer. And we're kind of like, wait a minute. We've kind of made this decision to go for these multiple meetings and then we're, we're seeing people move on. And I was reminded of this word that we'd had from God a few years ago of a sand timer with a top off and the bottom off. And God's pouring lots of resources into us as a church, but we're pouring lots out. And God's word to us was he will continually faithfully pour into us if we continually and faithfully pour out. And this was one of those moments where I could catch myself feeling like I'm just trying to block up the under, you know, because God, you keep pouring in. I'm just going to try and kind of cover the, you know, no, God's saying, no, be generous. Be generous with what I've given you. We need to be a people that expect the unexpected when God speaks and God calls us. It then carries on uh, in this verse. Well, actually, the other thing I want to say on those verses is that when God speaks, it's often uncomfortable as well. When you catch God's perspective, it's an uncomfortable feeling. When you feel God calling you to do something that you were not expecting God to say, but you know God is saying it, there's a discomfort that comes. Now, we live in an age where the God of comfort is being preached 24-7 to us. And basically, what we are being hearing and what we're receiving from the world is this. Position yourselves as best as possible to be as comfortable as possible. Get the nicest house, get the nicest clothes, get the nicest car, have the nicest friends, have the bestest job, so that you can feel comfortable. That's the goal in life, is be comfortable. It cracks me up. The, the English dream is basically get a house where you live nowhere near anyone else, so you don't have to be kind of annoyed by anyone at any moment with big gates and big fences around. People can't even come and knock on your door. They've got to buzz your gate, and they don't even know if you're in or not. That's the English dream we live in, is one of comfort. Comfort preaches to us all the time, and then when God speaks, he often draws us into uncomfortable places and uncomfortable ways. The question is, how will we receive that? How will we handle that? Peter's been called to go to the Gentiles. At that time, for a Jewish person to step foot into the house of a Gentile, they'd be viewed as unclean. So this is uncomfortable for Peter in a few ways. First, it's uncomfortable for him. It's shaking his whole value system. He's grown up with this value system of basically stay within the Jewish circle and don't go out. That's what he's lived with. That's what Jesus modeled when Jesus was here. Actually, Jesus ministered mostly to the Jewish people. A lady comes to him who's a Gentile and she says, Lord, can, you know, can I have some of the blessing? And Jesus says, well, you know, I'm actually here you know, for, for the sons of Israel. And she says, well, even the dogs get the crumbs under the table. And Jesus says, wow, your faith is incredible. Be blessed, be healed. Well, you see, but Jesus' main ministry was to the Jewish people. So Peter's living with this mindset and God's coming and challenging that. Saying, hey, listen, I'm pushing you out of your comfort zone here. Where's your comfort zone? Where is it that God's perhaps wanting to shake up for you? Are you very comfortable in your house, but actually maybe you've lived in your house for many years, but you don't know your neighbor. You've never reached out to them and wanted to speak to them. Perhaps this is that moment that God's starting to stir something up in you. Maybe it's your workplace and you're known as a certain type of person who's able to do a certain type of thing, but actually they don't know that you're a Christian. Or you, they know you're a Christian, but you've never actually invited them into encountering the things of God. These are the moments I think God just wants to stir something in us, push us out of our comfort zone. You know, there was another guy that lived in Joppa that got called by God to go to the Gentiles. Eight centuries earlier, a guy called Jonah. We've all heard of him. God called him out of his comfort zone. I love the story of Jonah. It cracks me up. I love the, the verse one. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's just a moment. God speaks, everything changes. 
and it says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, whoa, hang on a second. Nineveh, they are like the worst of the worst. Why on earth would I want to go to Nineveh? And God says, go to Nineveh. He says, okay, God. So he runs to the boat and he gets on the boat and goes totally the opposite way to Tarshish. Literally, the, you can't get further away from where he was meant to go. It wasn't an accident. He was deliberately rebellious to God. Why? Because God was calling him out of his comfort zone. And he didn't want to go there. He's challenging his values. He's challenging his reputation. It's the same issues Peter was facing. But for Jonah, he had positioned himself in a way that he felt, I don't want to do this. There's too much cost. There's too much here. I'm going this way. In the end, God has to send a storm, a giant fish to eat him, vomit him out three days later, and then finally goes to Nineveh. And then he gets angry when the people of Nineveh repent. I love it. Jonah's so funny. He's angry at God because God didn't wipe out the entire city of Nineveh. You're like, man alive, that guy's got a lot of issues going on. Whereas what you see with Peter... It's actually, there was a humility to him. He'd positioned himself in a way that he could hear from God. He had caught God's unexpected and uncomfortable perspective. And what we're going to see is he follows it. Let's carry on reading. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision... The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. A couple of things I want to say on this. First one is, when you feel like you have heard from God, it's okay to have to process it and have questions to ask. I love the fact that that word it uses at the beginning there is, Peter was perplexed by the vision he had. That's not a kind of like, hmm, that was interesting. That's a, kind, that's a word where he is genuinely kind of anguished by what he's trying to work out there. there there's a... He is concerned by what he's seen and he can't get his head around it. He's, he's kind of thrown him totally out of order. He's thinking, this makes no sense of all I've understood of what God has called us to do so far. He's perplexed by what God has said. I think sometimes we think that we are called to be a people that kind of hear God and follow God and never have any questions. Can I encourage you? Throughout Scripture, you will find many men and women who when they followed Jesus, they did have questions. Gideon, great champion. What you see is when God comes and speaks to him and says, Arise, O mighty man of valor, Gideon's literally like, What, me? He's like, Yeah, you. He's like, You can't be talking about me. He tests God three times, puts his fleece out, make everything else wet apart from the fleece. God does it. He says, Okay, maybe that's you. Okay, this time I'm going to put the fleece out, make the fleece wet and everything else dry. God does it. Okay, right, I'm just going to test one more. He, he questions God. When God speaks to you, it's okay to have to process the call of God over your life. And I want to encourage you that actually that's a joy to do corporately together as a people. As we look beyond ourselves, God will call us to do things that seem impossible. God will call us to do things that seem ridiculous. You may be sat here thinking, why on earth is Steve wanting us to look beyond ourselves when there's so much work we need to do here? There's so much hurt and pain and, and need around us that look around this room and I think, I'm not sure we can even do that, the number of us in this room. Maybe you're sat here thinking, why if we think about looking beyond ourselves and wanting to church plant or serve other nations when actually we want more people in this room and, and grow more and more as we want to do it. What I love about the way God works is he never looks at what we don't have, he always looks at what we do have. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, it's a massive crowd of people, over 5,000 people. It's just 5,000 men, let alone the, the, the women and children uh, that were there at the time. And the disciples say to him, Jesus, they've been here all day. It's really hot. I think they're hungry. We should send them on their way to find food. They're in the middle of nowhere. They had no hope of going to find food, but the disciples were just thinking, we can't feed them, so let's get them out of here, and then they're not our problem. Jesus says to them, yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying. You feed them. And they're like, so what? He's like, you feed them. We don't have anything. He's like, well, what do you have? Oh, this little boy is giving us some food. We've got two loaves and five, five fish and two loaves. 
Jesus will give it to me. They give it to Jesus. He blesses it, multiplies it, and they feed 5,000 and have those left over. Jesus wasn't focused on what they didn't have. He just looked at what they did have. Just give me what you've got and I'll multiply it. Just give me what you've got and I'll bless it and I'll use it for my glory and for your purposes. That's how God works. That's how the Lord operates. Is that we're so often, again, we're brought up in a culture where we're taught to think about what we lack rather than what we have. How often have you heard those quotes of, you know, it's like um, Jesus saying, it's easier for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle, um, you know, than to enter the kingdom of God. Then someone, if someone's ever preached on that, and then they'll say, statistically, we are in, what is it, like the top 5% richest in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, my heart shuts down a bit. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not rich, am I? You know, you, you, don't, you don't see my, my monthly budget and the challenges I have to pay, everything we've got to pay, and the children and the food and all that's going on there. I don't think I'm rich. But that's because I live in a culture that's taught me to focus on what I lack rather than what I have. And so if we're going to be a people that look beyond ourselves, we need to grow at having a kingdom perspective. That means we look at the gifts that God's put in the room amongst us. It may be that God's going to call you as a people, well it will be, I believe this, that you will see people move from here to go and be part of other initiatives and other works going on across this nation and the nations. I look at the youth work that you've got and them growing up, there's going to come a point where some of them are going to start to think about university and you're going to have the privilege of sending them into those places. As a church at City, we're blessed to, to receive many that are sent to us uh, of those that have grown up in churches and then been sent to university and have come to us and we've been privileged to input into their lives for three years or more in that sense. It's kind of a, a, a circle that goes on, but I want to encourage you, God will be calling you to, to move into looking beyond yourselves now, not once you have whatever it is you think you need. So often we think when we get that thing, Oh, then we'll, then we'll start to think about it. Once we get another worship leader and another preacher and another elder, once we get you know, another 20 people in the room, once we get a little bit more money in our budget, then we'll start to think about those things. Now listen, God wants to say to you today, be ready. Be ready. Peter was perplexed. But then it says, later on, it uses the word pondering. He says he's pondering it. And I love that because that word's used also for Mary. After the shepherds have come to see her, and they're saying, listen, we were out watching our sheep and a massive group of angels came and started singing to us, telling us that the, the Savior has come and he's going to be here. And so we've come, we've brought our lamb, this is amazing. It says, after they left, it says, Mary pondered what they said in her heart. Pondering is this beautiful picture of intimacy at work here. That Peter's perplexed, he's like overwhelmed by what God said. But also, he's, there's a real kind of deep intimacy at work here as well. That actually feels really honored that God's calling him into this. And I think that is the case. When God calls you out of your comfort zone, when God calls you out of the boat in that sense, there's this joy of, of two things going on here where you feel incredibly in, inadequate and unable to do what God's called you to do, but incredibly privileged that Jesus has called you to do it and you get to walk with him. I honestly feel for me personally in my life, it has been those moments where I've been pushed into the deep waters that I have felt closest with God because I've realized my need for him. So often in life, we go through life without really feeling like we need God. If we're totally honest, I won't ask for a show of hands, but if, if I was to, how many of us have really consistently, robustly prayed this last week for the things of God and been in the Word of God, seeking Him to speak? There'll be some hands that go up. Some of you are just wonderfully faithful Christians that have learned these principles and these disciplines. Others of us will be those that are going through tough times at the moment, where we feel like we're in the deep end. And so we really know we need God. And perhaps those that haven't raised our hands, if we would have done this exercise, will be those who actually, life's just ticking over. Things are all right. Things are going pretty well. Marriage is good. Family life's good. Work's good. Church is good. 
kind of can subtly start to think they're good because of what you're doing and so you don't really need God. We need to be those that fight, that ponder the things of God, rest in them, have an intimacy with him as we walk with him. And then finally, I just want to show you this, that actually the three keys, positioning ourselves to hear from God. As we do that, we gain God's perspective, which is unexpected, uncomfortable, and it's unmistakable as well as that God speaks. Also, do you see how clearly God speaks to Peter? He's perplexed and pondering, and then it says in verse 20, um, sorry, verse 19, while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. When you are processing the call of God, it's not an isolated thing. You have the church community, but you also have the Lord who's involved and speaking and leading and guiding. That's the God that we know. He's alive, isn't he? He sent his spirit to us. He leads us into the things of God. And then it carries on. says this finally, that we need to be those that our participation is a key as well. From verse 20, rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. I love this. For us to look beyond ourselves, we need to be an obedient people. Peter's just had this crazy vision. He's still trying to get his head around it. The Spirit of God says, oh, there's three men here looking for you. He, he invites them in and they say, basically, this guy Cornelius has met an angel and the angel said he needs to send you to come and say something to him. That's literally all they say. And then it says, the next day he arose and went with them. Obedience is one of the biggest things the Lord is looking for in us as a people. I think so often, again, we listen to the lie that God is most attracted to the most successful people. The, you know, the, the, the way God works is that if you become a Christian, it's because you were the best, you were the best behaved, you were the best at uh, things that you do, you're the most impressive person around you. And so God just looked and thought, I just can't cope without this person being on my team. And so I need to call them into the things. Now, if you're a Christian here, you know that's not true at all. You look at your own life and you think that is the most ridiculous. If someone actually thinks that God chose me because I'm impressive, they, have re- they don't know me at all. The truth is that that's not how it works. God is looking for obedience. That's all God needs. is the people that will position themselves to say, God, what you have to say to us, we will follow you into what you have for us. I love the story of the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2. It says that they're there. Everyone's having a great time at this wedding. Jesus is there with his disciples. Everyone's like, woo, great wedding. And then suddenly panic kicks in as they've run out of wine. And everyone's like, what do we do? And then it's Mary who says this to the servants. She says, well, she says to Jesus, Jesus, they've run out of wine. And Jesus' response is, woman, what has this got to do with me? Not the most kind of inviting response that he wants to actually be involved. And then Mary's next action is to turn to the servants and say, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, the only reason that miracle happened was, A, because Jesus is God and able to do it, but B, because the servants were obedient. So all he needed was obedience. Oh, you see those washing jars over there? Go and fill them with water. So they fill them to the brim. And as they do that, God moves in power. God is looking for us to be an obedient people. Peter here rose, despite the discomfort he was feeling, despite the confusion he was going through. He followed when he felt God speak. I want to encourage you with all of my heart, let's grow at being a people that do that. No matter how old you are, God is still calling you into plans and purposes he has for you. I love the call that God has for Abraham. Abraham was 99 years old and God calls him. You think, man alive, imagine being 99 and God speaking. Go, leave everything you've got and go over there. You'd be like, what? But that's how God works. 
God isn't a God that looks on the young and the fit. God isn't a God that looks on the, the wise and the experienced. God is a God who looks on his people and is looking for hearts that are open to him and obedient to his leading. That's what God wants us to be, is an obedient people. As we see Peter goes, his first participation is one of obedience. And notice with his words from verse 34. He's turned up, Cornelius has told him all that's happened. And then Peter says this in verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Another fact, Peter turns up and he has the privilege of preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his household. What I find fascinating is the angel comes and appears to Cornelius at the beginning of chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. And the angel doesn't get to preach the gospel. It's the privilege that we have as God's people on this earth is that we get to preach the gospel. The angel appears and says, you need to get Peter here right now because he's got something really important to tell you. That is genuinely the message the angel brings. You're like, God sent an angel to Cornelius, simply to tell him, go and get Peter so he can tell you something really important. You think, what's the point in that? Why didn't God just say, why didn't God say, angel, you go and tell the gospel to Cornelius? I think if an angel appeared to Cornelius and told him the gospel, he would have believed, right? You think, I'm an angel sent from God to tell you that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's died for you, he's risen again, and he wants you to be in his family. You think they'd say, oh yeah, sure. There's a privilege that God's called us as his people to be his mouthpiece. Looking beyond ourselves will often end up us having the joy of sharing the gospel with people that haven't heard the gospel before. Now that might be your next door neighbor. And when I came to university in Canterbury, I had a friend I met on the first day. And until we'd come to university, he had never met another Christian. He lived in Essex, not far from where I lived, but he'd never met a Christian his entire life, first 18 years of his life. Came to university and he was surrounded. We had a group of 10 friends, five of us were Christians. He couldn't get away from us. By the second year of university, he got saved. And I'll never forget that day I got the phone call from him. He was going to uh, meet with another friend of mine. He'd done Alpha. He hadn't got saved on Alpha. We were all a bit like, oh. And then he went and met with a friend. And I remember my other pal who was a Christian. We were praying together that morning. God, would this be the day of salvation? Would he give his life to the Lord? And then he rang me to say, and I remember I'm walking down the road and he rang me to say, become a Christian. And you know when you kind of, there was like a stranger here. And you've kind of hit the same rhythm, so you're walking at the same pace. So I'm on the phone, I'm genuinely crying down the phone as he's telling me he's becoming a girl. I'm like, this is incredible! And this guy's like, like <laughs> it was really strange. But the privilege it is to get to speak the gospel into people's lives and see their lives transformed by the love and the power of Jesus is something that we will get to experience only if we're thinking beyond ourselves. Now, I'm talking about, for you personally as a church here in Herne Bay, if you are not able to look beyond your own personal lives or your own needs as a church family, you will not have the privilege 
of speaking the gospel into people's lives because we won't come into contact with them. But also beyond that as well. Wouldn't it be incredible to hear stories in the coming years of churches that were started because of the works that you'd done here and cities that were transformed as hundreds of people come to know Jesus because of the people that we've sent from our families to go and do the works of God. That's the, the privilege that we have. We have had the joy of sending people to Helsinki, sending people to uh, Lille, sending people to Colchester, sending people to Serbia, sending people to America, sending people to New Zealand. And it is a wonderful thing to hear about God using them in that context to see lives transformed and people saved. That's why we're here, isn't it? We are here for the glory of Jesus, but the glory of Jesus is something that needs to consistently be growing and, go, and grow outgrowing where we are. It's the picture of the kingdom is a stone, a small stone that's cut without human hands that will inevitably one day inherit and fill the entire earth. It's the privilege we get to play part on. But with this, I want to end. It's not just that we get to participate, but God participates with us. From verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. When God calls you to go, he doesn't just say, okay, Stephen Jenny, I want you to go to this place. Good luck. I'll see you on the other side. And off you go, hoping that you'll have some kind of impact. Actually, the truth is that when God sends you to go, God goes with you. God is involved in the work that you're doing. God will break into those moments that you feel there is no hope to get there. I wonder if Peter's walking there and he's thinking, I've just preached the gospel. What will he do after he preached the gospel? Because I don't think in his mind he's really ready to baptize Gentiles and draw them into the family of God. I don't think he's ready. I think God in his mercy pours his spirit out on the, on the Gentiles so that Peter's like, oh, phew. That's helpful to see. God's baptizing them with the Spirit. So if God's doing it with them, I might as well baptize them in water. And they're drawn into the family of God. What we see is that when you step out for God, God will always be with you. You can always be expectant of God's power breaking in. That is in every area, in every setting of life. If you're a parent here and you're thinking, man, life so often I feel like parenting is unexpected and uncomfortable and difficult in many ways. Listen, God in that wants to serve you so that you can train and equip the next generation for the things of God. In your workplace, God wants to use you to be a beacon. It's the name of your church to point people to Jesus. And actually, as a family, God wants to bring you into a new season of looking beyond yourselves. Where is God calling people amongst you to go? What privilege you have to share with them and journey with them. Can I invite you to stand? I just want to lead us in a bit of prayer and then I'll hand back to Steve. Uh, what time do we need to wrap up? Yeah? Great, cool. I won't do a long time of prayer then. Don't